Well, good morning, BCC. It's really nice to see so many of you in the building. That's just great for us as pastors to see that, isn't it, Pastor Mark? Um, I want to open up with a little bit of a story, uh, if I may. Uh, Back when I was 13, in year nine at school, we went on a geography field trip to Snowdonia in Wales. And on one of the days, we got the chance to climb uh, Mount Snowdon itself. Now, there are a few ways you can climb to the top of Mount Snowdon, but the path we took up that day was called, or is called, the Watkins Track. And this path kind of zigzags its way up the valley. It goes past some derelict farmhouses and some old mine workings. It follows a river, and there's one or two waterfalls, and there's dry stone walls, and of course there are sheep uh, because it's Wales, and there's uh, one or two old railway lines that are cut into the mountainside, and the scenery is incredible. And as you climb, the view gets better and better, and you can see further and further uh, into the distance. One of the things I remember about uh, this day was that it was grey and drizzling a bit, and uh, as we climbed further and further up, we eventually came nearer and nearer to the level of the clouds themselves. And there came a point at which we actually stood level, our eye line was level with the underside of the clouds as they were kind of flowing over the landscape. And then we ascended into the cloud layer itself. And and that was a bit like being in thick fog, and it kind of went all quiet. And the last part of the climb uh, was up a very steep section uh, with lots of loose rocks and soil, and uh, we had to kind of, you know, shout to the people behind us and below us in case we dislodged anything for them to get out of the way. And then every now and then in the fog, you could also see small piles of stones, which are called cairns. And these cairns had been left by people to show the way to the summit uh, of Mount Snowden to stop you from getting lost. And then after a final hair-raising scramble uh, up the very steep section at the end, we all made it to the top. Uh, and we sat around eating our sandwiches in the rain like good British people do uh, before we then descended all the way back down in the afternoon. Now, I think that uh, most people are drawn to mountains. There's something about them. Mountains are beautiful to look at. Uh, They present us with a sense of challenge and uh, adventure and wonder. And there's something to be overcome and conquered, aren't they? Uh, You know, some mountains are very dangerous to climb. Uh, As I was researching for for this week's message, I've been watching this uh, uh, series of YouTube videos about a guy who's managed to free climb uh, all of the 3,000 feet up El Capitan, uh, which is in Yosemite National Park. It's that famous mountain that they have on Mac screensavers. Um, And uh, he did that in 2017 with no ropes and no safety equipment whatsoever. Uh, And that's, that's a distance or a height taller than the Burj Khalifa building uh, in Dubai. Uh, Can I just say that is the very last thing on earth I feel called to do. Uh, Lord, please do not make me climb a rock face. I would hate that so much. Um, Climbing up a mountain brings us changes in perspective, doesn't it? And just as the air itself literally and physically gets thinner and thinner the higher you go, We get this sense as we climb a mountain that we're entering into a kind of thin space between us and heaven. 
Mountains are very special. Uh, We're looking uh, at a story this morning from uh, the Gospel of Mark uh, in which Jesus and his three disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, climb a very high mountain together. And a very unusual thing happens while they're on the mountain. We're going to take a look at what that story might mean for us. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through to 10. Uh, if you're watching on our live stream, uh, you can click the link uh, on the YouVersion Bible event, and we've provided that in the live stream description, and that's on YouTube and on Facebook. In fact, you guys in the room can probably find that too and click that too. And I think we've WhatsApped uh, that out to you this morning as well. Uh, you can add your own notes in there as we go along. So Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through to 10. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There, he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. This is a remarkable story. Jesus is transformed in front of three terrified disciples. His clothing becomes like a dazzling white in color. And for a moment, we see Jesus perhaps as he is in heaven. We get a glimpse of his radiant glory as the Son of God. And two very important people from the Old Testament make an appearance and they're talking with Jesus. Peter blurts out something from fear about making three shelters. God himself speaks from the cloud. The whole episode is this kind of amazing, one-off, one-of-a-kind event, and it's not repeated any time else in Jesus' life. And imagine for a moment that you were one of those three people, Peter, James, or John, who were the only people in human time and history who got to see that. That, that's really quite something. Mark stacks up all the unusual words that he can find to try and describe what's going on in this story. He's trying to underscore how special and, and unusual it is. Uh, and he uses this word for, which we translate as radiant uh, in the Greek. In the Greek, it's still bonta is the word, and it means gleaming or shining, um, like flashing or an intensely brilliant uh, light. Uh, and Luke, when Luke shares this story in his gospel, he describes uh, Jesus' clothes as being like lightning. It's that bright and that striking. Now, uh, I know this is a big ask, but I'd like to try and give you an idea of what this might have been like at first glance to see Jesus in this way. Uh, let me tell, tell you a, a story. Uh, a couple of years ago, Chloe and I were driving into town along the Hagley Road uh, in the car, and uh, we saw this chap on a bike, uh, and he was wearing one of those white reflective Macs. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. It was really bright in our headlamps. He literally shone. Um, we both 
remarks to each other about how effective it was at making drivers notice his presence. And so Chloe got me one for my birthday. Uh, and I use this Mac, uh, especially when it's dark or rainy, uh, to make sure I stand out when I'm running so drivers can see me. Uh, so I thought, in the spirit of trying to give you an idea of what it might be like to be transfigured, um, I went with my lads uh, on Friday evening, just gone, up to Waisley Hills Country uh, Park. It's just near Hales Owen. On Friday evening, I went up there, and I grabbed a picture of me wearing my white reflective Mac and shining a torch against it in the sunlight. And so hopefully the media guys can show you that picture now uh, up on the screen. And there we are, Pastor Nick, transfigured at Waisley Hills. How cool is that? Now, I want to say to you, there's no Photoshop editing in there at all. That is how brightly it shines with a good beam of light. And there's no missing it, is there? You can't mistake that at all. And I'd like to think that perhaps as Peter, James, and John are up the mountain, Jesus suddenly starts looking like this from his clothing all over himself. That you get a sense of this brightness and this radiance. So is this just a mysterious adventure that Jesus wants to take his inner circle of three on? Or are there any, less, are there any lessons in transformation that we can take away for ourselves uh, this morning? Well, I, I want to say that there are three key ideas that will help us in our own journey of transformation that we can pick out of the transfiguration story that will help us to be more like Jesus. And they are these. It's be led, be lifted, and be loved. That's be led, be lifted, and be loved. So let's look at the first one of those. The first one of those is to be led. What does that mean? Well, it means that we need to be people who can be led by Jesus. In Mark uh, uh, chapter 9, verse 2, it says this. Jesus took Peter and James and John with him and led them up a high mountain. If Jesus asks us to follow, we need to allow ourselves to be led. Jesus has a path for each and every one of us to follow, and it's with him leading out in front of us. So just as there are piles of stones at intervals near the top of Mount Snowden to help us find the way, Jesus provides us with just the right path, which is tailored for us, and it guides us through our lives as we follow him. But it only works if we are willing to be led by him. And if we resist his leading, a life of discipleship becomes so much harder. Now, up to this point, the disciples have heard Jesus say things, and they've seen Jesus do incredible things. In fact, I think I'm right in saying that before this, Jesus has walked on the water, and he's completely stunned them all. But this is the first time that his inner circle of three disciples get a glimpse of his divine glory for just a moment. Now, it's quite significant, I think, that Jesus doesn't start out his ministry with this episode. That doesn't, this isn't how he launches his ministry. And it's also significant that he doesn't get transfigured in front of all the disciples. It's the, the core three, if you like, his inner circle. So Peter, James, and John get to witness this, but not the others. And what I think that says to us is that as we follow his leading, Jesus only reveals himself to us gradually. We are in, basically, he does that as we are individually ready to receive each next level of who he is. 
So whenever we think Jesus is doing something more special for someone else, we have to be patient and trust by faith that the path Jesus marks out for us is right for us as people, and that Jesus will lead us in our turn, and when we are ready, into those incredible things that he has for us. I also want to say that I think Jesus will lead us through some things that are meant only for us and not for others. He has a unique adventure for each and every one of us. So if the transfiguration is teaching us that we must be able to be led, what does that look like in practical terms? I think it comes down to a principle. And the principle is this. Being led means that we need to keep Jesus ahead of us and in front of us always. And it means being obedient to what he asks of us. If Jesus is not ahead of us or in front of us in our lives, then it could mean that we are trying to lead instead and not him. Or it could mean that we've put other things or other people ahead of us or in front of us and not him. So each of us needs to think about what it means to put Jesus up ahead and up in front. Uh, Beth Moore is a Christian leader in the States, uh, and I follow her on Twitter. And recently she tweeted uh, that uh, she is adamant that it is God who gets to speak to her first every day from her quiet time in the Bible. This is a great example of placing Jesus ahead of you and in front of you each day. Uh, Did you know that um, the first thing our team do on a Monday morning, uh, we we gather together and we have a brief devotion from the Bible and we pray together and we give the week ahead to Jesus. We do that as a team. So I want to ask you, church, what would it mean for you personally to make sure Jesus is ahead of you and in front of you every day so that you can be led? Have a think about what that might mean for you personally. And let me also encourage you to build a habit of following the prompting that the Lord puts in your heart to say or do good things. You know, we've heard this morning that Yasmin's been following that prompting to pray for her sister, and it's resulted in a very, very good thing, hasn't it? So if someone springs to mind, why not send them a message or a prayer? I want to say you being willing to be led in this way might just be a massive answer to what they are asking confirmation from God for. So you obeying a prompting can be an answer to someone else's prayer. I want to put it really simply. Being led means putting Jesus ahead of you in your path through life every day and following him in everything. So transfiguration lesson number one is be led. Number two is be lifted. I think this story shows that we may once or occasionally or possibly even several times be lifted by an intense personal encounter with the living God that will define and change our lives. I really believe that. These three disciples got this kind of one-off chance to have a glimpse of Jesus in his radiant glory, all spotless and bright and shining like lightning just for themselves. The word for transformed here in Mark 9 is what we get our English word metamorphosis from. And metamorphosis, as you know, maybe from your school days of biology, means to undergo a complete change. We find it in Romans 12 too, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We also find it in 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image, aren't we? 
I want to share something pretty cool with you now. Um, uh, as I was kind of looking into this story, I was reminded of the fact that in the Old Testament, Moses' face shines as he encounters God up the mountain when he goes and meets God and, uh, to get the law from, from God. And it reflects, God's glory reflects onto Moses' face. And it's so bright, it says that he had to wear a veil over his face uh, because it shone so much when he came back down the mountain. What's so intriguing about the transfiguration is that the radiance that the, the disciples see comes from inside Jesus. It's inside him as though Jesus is transformation itself. This is a story where we've got this kind of picture of Jesus existing in a completely parallel reality to human time and space. So not only do his garments become dazzling white, and, it, and, and in the text it says it's way more white than any cloth maker or launderer could make it in the world, but he's also joined by two people from the Old Testament, uh, Moses and Elijah. Now, for them to come and join Jesus in this way at the Transfiguration brings us great hope because it reveals for a moment two people who are now present to God in eternity. And if you think about it, we're on, all on this side of eternity right now, aren't we? But what we see in this story is two people who have made it into eternity with God. And then they have come to join Jesus momentarily uh, to, to kind of have, you know, for Jesus to have this incredible experience and for Peter, James and John to see it. You know, I kind of find, find myself wondering, you know, like, will I get used to, to go back into human time after I'm dead and been and gone to heaven, maybe with Kevin, and we'll go and appear to somebody with Jesus and they'll be transfigured? Yeah, come on, Kevin, we could do that. For Peter, James, and John, this must have been an incredible and defining experience. You know, they, they see his clothes completely shining, dazzling, bright, and in our journey with Jesus ourselves, we always need to be ready to be lifted by special encounters of this kind ourselves. So one of the main messages I see in the transfiguration is be lifted. Be lifted ourselves. Allow ourselves for God to meet us and lift us and change us. We need to be drawn into a deep awareness that we are following someone so holy that you can barely even begin to look at the brightness of their clothing. We mustn't lose sight of that church. We worship a holy, transcendent, radiant person. The transfiguration is a glimpse into the immense and sparkling purity of Jesus. And God wants us to have really staggering encounters with him that change us forever on the inside because they are so otherworldly. Hey, BCC, I know it's warm. I know it's hard to concentrate, but this is important. Jesus is a very, very special person. Yes. And what happens at the transfiguration is we get an insight into that in this incredible way. Yeah. How can we have an encounter like this for ourselves if such a thing could be possible? Now, this is such a hard question to answer. I spent ages trying to think of the answer to this, and I don't think I've come up with one other than be open to God. Yeah. Stay open to God. This, this isn't something that can be made into a formula because it seems like it's a one-off event, but it's very important. And I think the main way that we should stay, the main way that we can potentially be open to something like this happening to ourselves is be open to godly possibility. Don't ever put God in a box. God is a supernatural and glorious person, and so is his Son, and so is the Holy Spirit. Each of the persons of God could and might and will just do an incredible thing for you one day in your life, just for you. Yeah. 
You know, something else about this story that really strikes me and and has, has been touching me as I've been preparing for it is that I think an inevitable response to the brilliant purity of Jesus being glimpsed in this way is a desire on the inside for us to have our sin dealt with. We have a desire on the inside that all of our sin would be, would be gone in the presence of such purity. It's impossible to be near the brilliance of Jesus and not want him to clean you morally on the inside. Peter knew this about Jesus when he first encountered him. Do you remember that time when they met by the shore of uh, Lake Galilee and Jesus said, hey, go and fish over there. And the disciples said, no, come on, we've done that all night. And then they did anyway. And then they catch all these fish. And Peter suddenly realizes that he's in the presence of something very special. And he says this, he says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Isaiah was convicted of sin after his vision of God's holiness in his heavenly temple. Back in Isaiah 6, it says this, Woe to me, Isaiah cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When we read the transfiguration story, I think there's something in us that needs to respond to our own sin and say, Jesus, would you clean me up? Jesus, you are so pure. Would you heal me of my sin? Would you, would you make me right with you? Should we just take a moment and do that together? Let's just pray together. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you that you are present in this story to us this morning. I thank you for your dazzling and wonderful and beautiful purity. And Lord, there's something inside of us that doesn't want that to be spoiled in any way. And we ask that you would send us your brilliance and and dazzling nature on the inside of us. Put it there and clean us up from our sin. Forgive us our wrongdoing, we pray. Make us right with you, Lord Jesus, as we come into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So number one, be led. Number two, be lifted. And number three, and last of all, be loved. Be loved. Uh, And in reading this passage, uh, I'm struck, uh, very struck by God declaring his love for Jesus. Uh, There are three places in the Bible where God declares his love for the Son in this way. Uh, He declares it to the nations prophetically back in Isaiah. Isaiah 42 verse 1 says this, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. That's a really strange thing for somebody to write 750 years before Jesus comes along and yet it's very clearly about Jesus. And it's God speaking through Isaiah and speaking to the nations about his son as a suffering servant who comes to take away our sin. God also declares it directly to Jesus himself at his baptism in Mark 1.11. A voice comes from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And here at the Transfiguration, we also hear it. God declares it to the disciples. He says, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. And so God says it to the nations, he says it to Jesus himself, and he says it to the disciples listening in, this is my son whom I love. And a deep truth for us to receive from that is if, that, if God loves Jesus that way, he loves us that way too. We belong to God. God is love, and we are his, and we are meant to be with him. We are all meant to be in his household, crowned and celebrated with God's love. 
Someone, in praying through this message, and I think this was true for first service as well as it is for second, someone really needs to hear deep in their spirit this morning, there is a place for you in the Father's house. You belong and you are included. The love that I have for you, declares the Lord, is for you in your heart. Yes, you. Not the the person sitting next to you or the person that you're thinking about. You yourself. God loves you on the inside. I want, to say, I want to share something with you about the clouds. Um, just like that fog that surrounded us that day on Mount Snowden and it got all around us and it went all quiet and uh, we were completely sort of covered and, and hidden from view. The cloud from which God speaks and which cover, uh, covers Peter, James and John on the high mountains is inclusive and all surrounding. Those guys were not booted out of the cloud because they were not worthy enough. God included them and covered them. In fact, it says the word, the word for covering in there is the same as when the Holy Spirit uh, covers Mary and she gives birth to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. It's, it's the same words that we have in this cloud. And so that's a, 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 a love, um, a love for Mary, and it produces Jesus, um, a love for the world in sending Jesus as, as God's son. But this cloud, we kind of think of it as something fearful, but it's also something all-inclusive and covering, and we are covered by it. If God declares love for the Son over and over in this way, you need this morning to hear that he is declaring his love for you over and over as well. Something I want to just say to you too, this is really important to receive this, God declares his love to Jesus and love of Jesus before Jesus does any ministry. Jesus knew he was loved, and from that place he went out to fulfill his mission. In the same way, God is our foundation before we do anything for God. So his love for us is the foundation. And from there, we can go out and do ministry and we can do things for for him. And so we need to know deep down on the inside that we are loved first, and then we can go and do things. And I think some of us, maybe we're a little guilty of going and do things in order to get God's love. And that's not how it works. Psalm 18, 19 says that God rescued us because he loves us and he delights in us. The most powerful transformational effect in our lives is knowing that we are truly loved. And if you think about it, how many people have you seen that have ever changed because they got judged a lot? They haven't, have they? Nobody gets judged into changed behavior, although I think some consequences can sometimes teach us things. Um, But love is the most strong force Uh, for transformational change. I'm going to ask the worship team just to come up back onto the platform. Thank you, Kevin. What is a big clue that you are coming from a place uh, that you know that you are loved by God? It's being able to receive freely. It's being able to receive from God. A A love relationship with God is all about receiving something wonderful from Him where you didn't say or do a single thing to merit it at all. You know, when a baby arrives in the world, are they loved because of the uh, things that they are achieving or the things that they bring to the relationship? No, they're not. In fact, babies bring pretty hideous things to the relationship in the first few months, don't they? You know, sleepless nights, inexplicable yelling, vile nappies, and yet, are they lovable? Yes, completely. They are absolutely lovable. 
Be loved, BCC. Don't try and earn it. You know, we all slip into thinking we need to earn God's love from time to time. And I think Peter's response on the mountain comes from that place. Hey, let's build three shelters. Let's do something. All of us have that tendency to want to do something in response to the presence of God. But actually, we just need to learn how to receive. We are his children about his courts. We belong to him and he loves us. I want, just as I begin, just as I close, and we're going to worship in just a minute. I want to share a little something that happened to me a few weeks ago. Um, and, and like all of us, I think we can we can slip into trying to achieve in front of God, trying to impress God, trying to show God how good we are, or trying to show God what we're what we're doing. And um, I kind of slipped into this religious thing of listing out my achievements one day in my prayer journal to God. I had like a piece of A4 there, and I was kind of writing stuff out, and, hey, Lord, I've done this this year, and I've done that, and I've done the other, and this long list of things of like, hey, wow, what have I, you know, I've done all these things. And uh, as I was going through it, I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me. It wasn't like an audible voice, but it was like an impression from the Holy Spirit. And the impression was this. It was... When of your three boys, I've got three boys, uh, George, Simon, and Adam, when of your three boys ever come and sat with you and pleaded their case for you to love them by listing out the things they've achieved? And I was like, oh, <laughs> never. And God said, yeah, you don't need to do that with me either. You really don't. You are loved. You are loved already. God says to Jesus at the transfiguration, this is my son whom I love, and he speaks I love over you as well. Let's all stand. Let's all stand, and we're going we're gonna to worship in just a minute. You can't earn God's love. You can't strive for it. You don't have to score points to get it. You can't achieve it. You just have it. So church, just receive the love of God this morning. Kevin and the guys are going to lead us in worship. I'm just going to pray a prayer over us right now that we would receive the love of God this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray for every person in the room and I pray for all you guys watching on our live streams. I pray that the Holy Spirit would send you a hug right now. That you would be hugged in the Spirit. And that Father God would display his love and show his affection for you and his love and his warmth towards you right now. And that you would know that you are a loved son or a loved daughter about the courts of the king and that you belong in the Father's house. Holy Spirit, would you do that right now for every single person right here? Every single person watching or every single person watching in the future. Father God, just send us your love. Hug us in our hearts, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.